Good morning, Hillside. All right, I am gonna just reiterate something that was said in the announcement video. Today is our Fair Trade Sunday, and I want to tell you a little bit more about the um, organization that the Missions Committee decided to support this year. It's called Anchored in Hope. And I just wanna start out by reading their mission statement because it really sums up um, everything about them and everything that we stand for as well. The mission of Anchored in Hope is to empower Haitian artisans to provide their, for their families with dignity. Our desire is to inspire hope for a better tomorrow through our reliance on the anchor that we have in Jesus Christ. And so at the back of the church, we have tables set up, and there are magnets on this table that are hand, uh, hand cut, hand stamped by Haitian artisans. And um, they're beautiful, and they're very well done, and they're offered. Um, we bought them. The missions committee bought them, and then we're offering them back to the congregation for a free will donation. And everything that you donate will go directly to our um, Envision site with Mike Piccinato in Germany. And um, so please uh, come back and check it out at the end of the service. Last night was the pumpkin shootout. And it was, it was a blast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was, though. I mean, there was so much going on. There was, it was, there were, uh, there was gunshots all night long. And there was a volleyball game that abandoned all the rules. Um, and there were kids running circles. I'm sure everyone just crashed at the end of the night. It was so much fun. But I wanted to take you back in history about five years to our very first GO conference, and our very first missionary was Mike Piccinato, and during one of his uh, um, conversations with us when we asked him what he enjoyed doing, he said, do you guys shoot guns? Yes. <laughs> so there was the start of the pumpkin shootout. And Mike is uh, back with us five years later, and he's going to share with us what's been going on in Germany. He's been there for 10 years, he and his family, and they have been breaking ground. And Germans are notoriously stubborn and difficult. I'm married to one. I know. <laughs> um, but they're, they're amazing people, and, and, and Mike has built such awesome relationships there, and he's going to uh, share with us what's being done and um, kind of the Alliance's theme for the year as well. And please, Join me in welcoming Mike Piccinato to Hillside. Thanks, Stacia. So Stacia has introduced me as, as this person ignorant of South Dakota culture, um, as, the, as the granddaddy of the pumpkin shootout and as the godfather. I don't know if I should be insulted or complimented. It's great to be with you guys again this morning. Current research shows that it takes seven seconds on average for people to make a good first impression. For some people, first impressions are made in nine-tenths of a second, and if you make it past that first impression barrier, people generally take one and a half to four minutes to decide whether or not they're going to like you, and if they don't like you, they're not going to trust you. If they don't trust you, they're not going to listen to anything you have to say, and I realize for some of you, I have already, it's already too late. For me to make a good first impression of a funny mustache, round glasses, you think I look like Mr. Monopoly or Dr. Robotnik or Kaiser Wilhelm II. 
none of whom necessarily inspire confidence and trust. Somebody called me on my tattoo in the lobby earlier today, so may have won or lost points with you already. But for some of you, I've got three and a half minutes remaining to try to establish some level of trust. So first of all, maybe we can win some points by letting you know we're from this district. My dad was in the Air Force. We moved around a lot. My first school experience at the age of five years old in kindergarten was at Rapid City, South Dakota, Ellsworth Air Force Base. Uh, I graduated from Minot High School, uh, started attending Minot State University, studied computer science for three years before I transferred to Crown College where I met my wife, Alyssa. We got married, stayed in the district to start our family. I was the youth pastor at Maple Plain Community Church for six years, lead pastor at Staples Alliance Church in Minnesota for 10 years, was licensed in this district, commissioned to go overseas from this district, ordained from this district. So this general area of the world, Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, is one of the places that we call home. Second, um, are any of you from Minnesota? Yeah, do any of you play that game where you tap people on the head and talk about ducks and chase people who hit you? Yeah, yeah, well, in, in our family, there are people who play it right and people who play it wrong. Some of us play duck, duck, gray duck, and one of us plays duck, duck, goose, so you have to like us, but at least one of us in our family plays the game right. Uh, third, I'm really not here to preach at you guys this morning. I, I want to share a message with you, um, but a lot of what I'm talking about today is just stuff that Alyssa and I are still figuring out. We're still trying to figure out. Um, we haven't figured it all out yet. We showed up in Berlin July 13th, 2012. I'd been in ministry for 16 years, thought I had ministry figured out. We landed after, after a long day of travel with, with all three kids. 12 suitcases, a guitar, no mustache, um, <laughs> crashed overnight at a friend of a friend's apartment. And as I look back at that time, I really realized that when I ended my ministry in Staples, Minnesota, after 10 years of being a pastor, that was probably the last time I really think I, I, I felt fairly confident that I knew what I was doing. We got settled in a new neighborhood, went to language school, learned German for two years, helped the church that we were a part of. We finished language school, and the church we were helping with asked if we would help them get a ministry center started right across the street from where the church was meeting. So with the help of the Alliance, we rented this space and, and, uh, and started to get it set up for children's ministries and for some of the other ministries of the church. The biggest problem with this ministry center was that it's right downtown Berlin, and a lot of the people that came to the church were a little further out. And just didn't have the time or the capacity in their week to come back and do ministries at the ministry center that they wanted us to kind of get up and running for them. And so the space was sitting empty. We didn't want the space to sit empty, so we started walking around the community and noticed that there were more than 30 art galleries within walking distance of our ministry center. So we decided, what would it look like if we started exhibiting art? And that sounds glamorous. It's really a lot more work. Uh, having art on the walls during the week and then turning the space over for children's ministries on the weekend is a ton of work. And we found out quickly that exhibiting art is a lot more than just hanging pictures on the wall. We needed help. We actually had a German artist that walked into our gallery and said, you guys need help, don't you? <laughs> and we said, yes, we do. And, 
and this German artist who was skeptical toward faith, uh, as, as a good German, had no problem telling us um, what she thought or sharing her mind with us, um, but she was really willing to help us do this work well. And so over the next two and a half years, we worked together. She was part of our curation team. We did 17 exhibits together with more than two dozen artists from 20 different countries. We were uh, Gallery of the Month twice for a German art magazine. We built a great artistic community. We were continuing to be involved in the church plant that met across the street that we were partnered with as the Alliance for almost 10 years. And then shortly before we came home in 2017, everything fell apart. The church... We were preparing to leave, and so one of the ways that the Alliance really tries to do work well is say, hey, we're not going to be here forever. We want to raise up German leaders that will be able to take over the churches that we're starting now. We had a German pastor in place, German elders leading the church, uh, but the building, the church lost its lease on the space that it had been renting, and that caused some stress. They knew that we were kind of pulling out of the partnership, and that caused more stress and then the pastor had some vision conflicts with people in the church, and uh, we were gone at a conference for a week, and when we came back, the church had kind of blown up while we were gone. The church had been paying 25% of the rent on the space that we were using in the gallery, and um, so we had to close the gallery space down as well. Most of the people in the church landed well in new congregations, but we just came back feeling pretty beat up. We had spent five years investing in the church and the gallery, and, and normally when you come back and you want to talk about what God's doing in, in your ministry as you visit churches, you like to tell great stories, and I didn't feel we had any. And so we came back. It was just a rough year, but at the same time, the Alliance had been responding to the Arabic Spring that started in 2015 throughout many Middle Eastern countries. The civil war in Syria launched 60,000 Syrian refugees just to Berlin. One million to one and a half million came to Germany, and the alliance invited longtime workers from the Middle East to come to Berlin and launch a ministry center. They got a great ministry started uh, and then retired in early 2018, in May of 2018, and Alyssa and I came back to Berlin in July of 2018 as the only workers focusing on German church planting. And we were asked to lead this new team called the Berlin Arab German team with these two ministries kind of mashed together in a strange and interesting way. We didn't know anybody on the team when we were coming back. After we had been in Germany for a month, another family landed to join the work. A year later, another family was added to the mix. Six months after that, a single lady joined us. Six months after that, two new families joined us. And we grew to a team of more than 30 people with no common language. Our Syrian pastor couldn't speak English. Uh, most of us couldn't speak Arabic. And everyone except for Alyssa and I were learning German. So we would do team meetings in three languages. We would um, write weekly emails. I would write weekly emails in two languages. And we just stumbled this kind of lurching, growing ship along. The Alliance does strategic field reviews of their ministry every five years. That strategic review happened in November of 2018. And they said, what are you doing that's matching up with what you were planning to do five years ago? And we had to say, absolutely nothing. And we can't do anything that's on that list with the team that's in place. Um, the Arabic ministry was really struggling at that time, so at the end of the strategic review, they asked Alyssa and I to step back from German church planting for a little while to invest in making sure that this Arabic project would survive, and then COVID hit, and COVID in Berlin was no joke. 
the rules, um, there are still some mask rules in place. You still have to wear masks in public transportation in Berlin. And it just pretty much almost crippled all ministry that we were doing for a couple of years. But God continued to move. The Arabic church that we were a part of um, continued to grow. God continued to grow our team. We were able to launch more house churches during that time as well. And then the next slide, there's a picture of this Arabic church as they're meeting in, in the ministry center in Berlin. In September of 2018, our team invited Envision to come and launch a site. Uh, we really wanted to do better at developing that next generation of missional leader and work better with teams as they were coming. And as the international site developer was explaining to Alyssa and I who would she, we should be looking for as the next site coordinator that would come, Alyssa and I realized that he was really describing our ideal position. So we transitioned from team leadership in this church planting role that we had been a part of to continuing with church planting, but now saying, hey, if we've got 15 years of ministry overseas left, what we want to be doing in that time is developing the next generation of missional leader and making sure that the best, most equipped people for the work that God has to do are coming out of um, Envision and, of course, from Envision Berlin. So we transitioned into that ministry. And I'm giving this really long introduction both to share a little bit about what we're doing, but also to say that what I'm talking about today as we take a look at the Alliance's theme for the year and open up the Bible, is really trying to figure out what does it mean to be present in the communities that God has placed us in. And I really feel this is a challenging concept in the church today. I've been speaking in churches across the district over the last four months, and as I do that, whether it's Minnesota or South Dakota, I'm hearing that it's increasingly difficult for people in their churches to feel like they can really be present in their communities. And Sometimes it's because there's these intense differences in beliefs and values, and, and many people are feeling like we don't have a place where we belong anymore. There's a lot of hot-button topics, and they're coming up all of the time, and, and I'm even, people are telling me, Mike, I'm just deleting social media apps off my phone. I just can't handle the stress that comes from me constantly seeing people who have these different opinions, and I don't even know how to address them. Some people are telling me I'm blocking my family on social media. I just can't see their, their crap anymore. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that in church. Um, uh, other people are saying I just can't handle the constant anger that I'm seeing. Dr. Heather Holloman, she's a Penn State professor, wrote a book on communication, and she wrote that because of people's fear of cancel culture, because of their fear of shame, Many people are losing an authentic self because they mediate their sense of identity through how everyone else is or how everyone will judge them. So we're finding that people are feeling, I can't even be myself because somebody's going to judge me. Do you ever feel that way? So when a theme comes up that's talking about being present, it feels a little bit loaded because I think all of us would love a place where we could be completely ourselves, where we could be transparent, where we could share our minds, where we could say crap in church. Um, but the thought of what that would take is often just really terrifying for us. We don't know what to do with this idea of being present. We live in one of the most atheistic geographical regions on planet Earth. Some German historians would claim that Northeast Germany was never really reached for the gospel. It's occupied by some of the most fierce barbarian warriors of the world. The mighty, well, not now, but it was. The mighty Roman Empire could never conquer 
the Slavic Gauls who lived northeast of the Oba River in this region called Germania. Eventually, the Holy Roman Empire and the church was launching crusades into this part of the world that we now call home to either kill or convert the Slavic Gauls that lived there. And churches were established. Churches were planted, but one could argue that churches planted in violence and force do little to really impact the hearts and minds of the people who live there. Berlin was an early leader in atheistic thought, growing atheistic philosophy that dates back to the late 1800s, not so much out of violent opposition to God, more out of just questioning whether God is relevant in a modern age. Today in Berlin, fewer than 1% of people attend church, 65% of people have no spiritual belief. That grows to 85% of people in rural northeast Germany. And this number, these numbers, both people who don't identify as Christians or people who identify with no spiritual belief, are also rising in the United States. And that means that we have to start figuring out how to do church different. It just does. It just means that when we're talking about church and talking about faith, the majority of people we meet on the streets during the week, the majority of people we run into are not waking up on Sunday morning wondering where they should go to church. It never enters their mind. In Berlin, you would have to talk to, I mean, it's 0.3% in my community of people who go to church. You'd have to talk to 997 people before you'd run into one person that could tell you about church, even if that person wanted to go to church. And so we have to figure out in Berlin, how do we live here in a way that's different? How do we be present in our communities in a way that represents Jesus well? So I'm going to take us to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, to look at how Jesus was present when he came to the world. John is this amazing gospel. Uh, it's, it's, um, when John introduces Jesus to us in the gospel of John, he does it differently than any of the other gospel authors do. When Matthew and Luke introduce us to Jesus, they start with Jesus' birth. So in Luke, we have this amazing story that we read in, in almost every Christmas. It, it came to pass in the days of Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Matthew, we read about, uh, well, Luke also, we read about the shepherds and the angels. And, and in Matthew, we read about the coming of the wise men. Mark doesn't waste any time introducing us to Jesus as a baby. He just launches Jesus right into ministry. And John does it completely different. He says, hey, I want to talk about Jesus before he ever came to earth. I want to introduce you to the incarnate Jesus, but also the immortal Jesus, the Jesus from all of eternity. And this is what he writes, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was not in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. 
the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture. You could really spend weeks in this passage of Scripture. I only have one, and I'm not going to try to cram a week's worth of messages into one, I promise. Um, So I'm just going to kind of dial into the last verse. And I want us to narrow in on the word word and on the phrase took up residence among us. Because John deliberately chooses this word, logos in Greek, to introduce us to Jesus. He's an old man. He's living in the city of Ephesus, and he's And Ephesus is a a city that's full of philosophical thought. And so John takes a word that's been gradually evolving through Greek philosophical history, and he combines that philosophical background with Jewish religion. And as he's focusing on Jesus as the word, he's talking about his existence from eternity instead of his birth. And he's telling us that Jesus is the revealer of God, and he's God in reality. So that when we see Jesus, we see God, and he's also God. It's, it's, John is, is really messing with our minds and asking us to embrace big thoughts as he talks about Jesus in this way. And then he tells us that, that the revealer of God, who is God in reality, comes to earth and takes up residence among us. As language learners, we learn that there are some phrases you cannot translate literally. Are any of you German? Not like speak, German speakers? A little bit? All right, so here's some phrases in German that, uh, that are really difficult to translate literally. Um, one of them is, ich verstehe nur Bahnhof. The, tr- the phrase translated literally means I only understand train station. If you can picture yourself standing on a train station or sitting in a, sitting in a, um, in a train as you're arriving at a station and the announcer gets on and starts talking about the train that's coming in or the station you're about to arrive at, and it's through those nasty muffled speakers and all you can understand at the end is the word arriving at this train station. That's what the German phrase is kind of making an allusion to. So you're talking with someone and you're just not picking up what you're, they're saying. You can say, Verstehen nur Bahnhof. Just means I don't understand what you're saying. We have silly phrases in English too, but sometimes the German ones make me laugh more. Um, das ist mir Wurst is a German phrase that means that is sausage to me. My language instructor said, Mike, it's like it doesn't matter what end of a sausage you start eating at, it all tastes the same. So das ist mir Wurst is a phrase that you use when you say it, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter to me. Hey, where would you like to go for lunch after church? Das ist mir Wurst. Doesn't matter. I'll go anywhere. Um, Another phrase that, so Germans have these etymological dictionaries, so you can look up the history of words. We have them in English too. But for Germans, they have them for phrases. So you can try to figure out what on earth does this phrase mean? And one's like this one, ich habe kein Bock, means I have no goat. And people don't know where this phrase comes from, but what it means is, I have no desire to do that. Hey, how would you like to go play soccer today after church? No, thanks. I have no goat. (laughs) I mean, there are other phrases. Germans have a phrase like, that fits like a fist in the eye. Or or a phrase like, okay, let's put butter before the fish. And you just have to understand all sorts of German regional cultural dialects to be able to understand what these phrases mean and why they use them. 
And the Bible has some of these phrases too. And one of the phrases is in this passage, the Bible, we translate it that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or the word became flesh and took up residence among us. The literal phrase in the Bible is the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And I love this phrase because it gives us this reference into the early worship traditions of the Jewish people. When the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, God instructed Moses to instruct the skilled craftsmen and the artisans to build a place of worship and to make all of the worship ritual, the the instruments involved in the worship rituals. And this place was called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was literally a tent. And the first time that they, they pitched this tent, God's presence came and filled the tent in such an, a, a powerful way that Moses couldn't even enter it. And then this, this presence of God became this visible cloud that would hover over the tent. And when the cloud would move, the people would move. And when the cloud stayed, the people would stay and pitch their tents around the tent that was pitched under where the cloud had stopped. And so when John says that Jesus pitched his tent among us, he's referring back to this place of worship, this physical tent, which in, it contained the entire presence of God. And, and it, it, Jesus came and lived among us as a fragile human being, among fragile human beings, in a way that was also embodying the full presence of God. It's this amazing reference. And then Paul later refers to us as human beings as physical tents as well. I'm going to make one more connection, and that is that Paul also refers to us as humans as being fragile clay vessels. He does this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, in verses 6 and 7. He says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Now we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. So here's the thing. Both a clay jar and a tent are these fragile vessels in which there is nothing necessarily amazing. Even even the tabernacle with all of the gold-plated vessels and the elaborate weavings was just a tent. The clay pot is just a clay pot. The value of both of them is the treasure that they hold. The value of the tent of meeting was that God's presence filled it. The value of the clay jar that Paul refers to is this extraordinary treasure that is within. And so we have this responsibility from God to be present in our communities in such a way that people see through the clay vessels to the treasure that is within. We had to learn that in Berlin because, man, I tell you what, I came in thinking I have 16 years of ministry experience and now I'm going to learn this foreign language. I've got gifts that I know God can use and, and I've been studying the Bible for my life. So this is going to be an amazing gift to the people that I'm ministering to. But it wasn't. That wasn't the gift that spoke to the people that I was working with. What was spoke to the people I was working with was me just being there and being present in their life. And it wasn't until we started realizing that we're really just clay pots that contain the treasure of Jesus, that God began to work through us. When we stopped being concerned about our competence and became more concerned about just being present with our neighbors, God began to do some great things. So here, first round of the same question, what does it mean for you as a Christian to be present in the community where God has placed you? To not be there because of your gifts, 
or because of your talents or because of your skills, but just to be present in the community that God has placed you. What does it mean for you to take up residence, to pitch your tent where God's planted you? From my experience, it meant that I had to become less concerned about my competence and more concerned about being kind to my neighbors. It meant that I, I had to learn that being present is less about flair and more about, about being there because this long-term presence is really important in Berlin. One evening, uh, there's a guy banging on my apartment door, and when I went to open the door, it was my neighbor, Philippe. Philippe lives right across the hall from me, and he said, Mike, please come quick in very heavily French-accented German. My baby is not breathing. So Alyssa and I rushed across the hallway, and by the time we made it across the hall, not far, uh, baby Timmy was breathing again, and we stayed, and we, and we prayed with them a little bit, and, and they were like, should we call the doctors? And I'm like, well, it's not normal for a baby not to breathe. Um, and, and so they eventually, they, they, they brought, Timmy was doing fine, but they brought, they brought Timmy into the hospital, and uh, these are our neighbors right across the hall. So Philippe and Laura um, were there in the building when we moved in, and for the first several years that we were living in Berlin, we would just make small talk in the hallway. Philippe was also learning German. He's French. Phil uh, Laura is, is German. Their common language was English, and, uh, and they, we, would, we would make small talk, complain about how hard it is to learn German, or talk about things going on in the neighborhood, or Whatever. After we had been there for about three years, they said, well, it doesn't look like you guys are going to move away right away, so maybe we should try to get to know you a little bit better. And they invited us over to dinner. Laura had this, this other agenda. She wanted to convert us to being vegans. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but we went and, and, and started to have meals with them and, and got to know them a little better. And so by the time this was happening with Timmy, we had known each other for about five years. And uh, this was... This was their first child together, and, and, and shortly after that, uh, we had to come home on home assignment. We tried to stay in touch while we were gone, and, and, and Timmy had some serious, serious medical conditions. He was in the hospital most of that first year. Long-term prognosis for Timmy was not good at all. Um, he, he had some major developmental issues, had a rare uh, medical disorder. I, I don't know, not a, know what it was. I just know that they... They, they were struggling to find other people in the world that were struggling with the same thing that, that Timmy had. And um, when we came back to Berlin in July of 2018, uh, we started to engage with them. Timmy was non-responsive most of the time. Uh, and, and, and our neighbors, our other neighbors above us, had, were in the middle of this, this remodeling project in their apartment. You live in apartments, and one person remodels, everybody benefits from the noise of the process. And so the way Germans kind of help with this, help apologize to all of their neighbors, at the end of the remodeling process, they invite everybody over for coffee and cake and so that they can ooh and ah over the remodeling process that they've gone through in their apartment. Um, Philippe and Laura came with Timmy to that as well, and Alyssa got the chance to sit and just hold Timmy. So she's holding him at this, at this party at our neighbor's and, and just wanted to sing a little song to Timmy, and the first song that came into her mind was Jesus Loves Me, sings Jesus Loves Me to Timmy, and his face just lights up, this normally non-responsive child. His mom is like, what just happened? I was like, I, I just, I sang Jesus Loves Me to him. Laura's not a Christian so far from believing in Jesus. Um, 
But then she took Timmy to Portugal to some land that the family owned, and while she was in Portugal, Timmy passed away. So uh, Philippe came to my apartment again, and, and this time telling me, Mike, my, my son has just passed away. So I went and, and sat with Philippe and wept with him, um, read some psalms to him, ordered a, a Bible in French to be overnighted because we were looking everything up on, on the Bible app and I wanted him to have something that he could just hold in his hand and read. And he started reading the Bible some more and, and it's super complicated when a child dies in a foreign country. Uh, super complicated when a child dies. Um, there were police investigations that needed to be made. Um, Philippe had to stay in Berlin and arrange for the body, body to be transported to Berlin. And so for a week after their, after their baby had died, the family couldn't be together. They couldn't grieve together. And so we just sat with, with Philippe as much as possible. Um, eventually, Laura came back, and they had a very private family-only funeral for Timmy. And then Philippe started to come to our house church. He didn't come all the time, still doesn't come all the time, comes regularly, enjoys the community, started asking me questions. Mike, what, what, is, what is forgiveness? Like, like, what is grace? How does God forgive everything? Um, Laura came to church a couple times. Her family's pretty strong, atheistic family. It doesn't really have a, a lot of understanding or time for church. Their relationship struggled, as it often does. Uh, when there's when there's sickness or death of a child involved, that's super common. Uh, and we just kept being present with this couple in our community. Um, they're back together, kind of. Um, they're raising a child together. It's it's not his. Um, it's just a complicated thing. And uh, and Philippe keeps coming to me with questions about faith. The other day. Uh, he was saying, Mike, you know, it's really hard because Laura doesn't believe the way we do. Like, dude, I don't know what you believe. Um, but I'm glad that you're on the road to faith. And this journey is just long. It's just a long journey. It's the long journey of relationship building in Germany. And, and my Bible training and learning how to be a youth pastor and a pastor wouldn't have helped me in this situation. What helped me with... Philippe and with Laura is living next door and being available to them. And being present is something that we can all do. You don't need special training to be present for your neighbors, right? You don't need special training to pitch your tent in your community. And that's why I love this theme for the year, because this is what God is calling us to do. So kind of again, back to the question, what would that mean for you? What would it mean for you if you said, you know what, I, this is where God has me for now. I am going to pitch my tent here. I am going to be present in the community that God has planted me in a way that helps me be full of grace and truth to our neighbors. Because I really think that's what we need to do. When people aren't wanting to come to church, then we've got to bring the presence of Christ to them. UC Berkeley researcher Dr. Dick Hansen calls this moving from reactive mode where our vision becomes really narrowed and we start responding to problems and frustrations to responsive mode where we're ready to learn and change 
in order to create cultures of compassion and love around us. What I've noticed in the last four months of speaking in churches is that we as, as a Christian community are very much becoming reactive mode. And we're becoming really frustrated with problems in the world. And we're responding out of that frustration. But we're losing the responsive mode where we're saying, God has placed us here to create communities of grace and love. I think the way that this passage ends with Jesus, the word through whom everything in all creation was made, is dwelling among us full of grace and truth is probably an easier way to say moving from reactive mode to responsive mode. The idea that God is calling us to live in our communities full of grace and truth. I've come to the point where I think that if I were to end my, my ministry career in Berlin, and move away, uh, if the people in my community would say, man, Mike and Alyssa were present in our community full of grace and truth, it would be one of the greatest honors of my life. Let me share some ways that workers in Germany are trying to do this. Um, we do community gardening. City Light represent. <laughs> I've got a team, one of the, one of the short-term teams that came to see us last year is uh, members of them are here this morning. And so this picture on the bottom right is, uh, is them gardening with us in a community garden in Berlin where this local park, uh, I've had two college teams that have come and gardened with us. And every time they leave, I get months of gospel conversations out of them coming and sharing with us because we're just showing up and the people in my neighborhood cannot believe that college students are not coming to Berlin to party, but instead are coming to serve them. I had one of the guys came to me after you guys left and they came and said, Mike, this, this upper area has never been as clear of weeds as it is after, those, after those, those people came from. Where were they from? I'm like, man, they're from Nebraska. They know how to work. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, I, I just get miles of gospel conversations about being present in our community, pulling weeds and raking leaves and gardening. We do um, a living Advent calendar where instead of opening papers on a, a door in our community, somebody started where people just literally open their doors and businesses or, or people's homes, they open their doors and, and people come in and you sing songs, you put on a short program and you eat and drink together. And we do that in our community and it's just a great way to get to know our neighbors. We do gallery exhibits in our space. Um, we do uh, window concerts. There's English classes. The team up in Varen and now a team in Berlin have been doing English classes and English camps for years. The English teachers up in Varen, um, we do an English day camp once during spring break up there. And so the English teachers up in Varen came to the team that was running that and said, man, you just did in a week of English camp what we would have done in a year of English classes. What am I going to do now with my elementary kids? But they've also gotten to the point where the mayor comes to the program. They just love what this English camp is doing. The Alliance has been involved in refugee work in 2015-16. It was Arabic-speaking refugees. Now in Berlin, there's more than 50,000 Ukrainian refugees because of the war in Ukraine. And so once again, we're saying, now what can we do to be full of grace for people that are now trying to adjust and adopt to new homes. Our team up in Varen started driving vans and trailers full of supplies 
to Poland to drop off for the refugees that were coming, and we're driving back up to Varn with a van full of, of refugee families that were looking for new places to settle. People in the community were opening up their vacation apartments and homes to provide homes for the refugees, and now the Alliance Church, the international church in Varn, is more than half full. There's about 60 people in it. More than half of them are Ukrainian refugees. The Alliance has taken an international worker that was in Russia that had to pull out because of the war. They're now up in Varan doing pastoral care and translation work for people. It's just a lot of stuff where we're looking around and saying, what is attractive to the people in our community and how can we be present for them? A great pumpkin shootout would not work in Berlin. <laughs> but it's an amazing way for you as a church family to be present with the people here. So what are other ways that you can just be present in the community that you're a part of? It wasn't enough that Jesus was present full of grace. John also says that he was full of grace and truth. And so we know that the bridges that we're building are bridges that can bear the weight of the gospel. And we know that, that we need to get to truth. And we communicate truth as we invite people to join us for church, as we answer questions about our motivations as we try to tell a group of, of former East German gardeners uh, why a team from Nebraska would come and pull weeds instead of going out and partying. We take people to our house churches, and we're trying to do ministry in a way that gives us the opportunity to communicate truth to people. So again, what does grace and truth look like for you? How do you pitch your tent in your communities? What would God have you do to impact the people here in Vermilion or in Yankton or in the surrounding communities where God has you live. I want to ask this question kind of using five major question areas. And worship team will come up and I'll do my best to be short. And the first question is just back to that here. What does it mean for you to engage in ministry here? One of the things I love about Jesus' great commission in, in the book of Acts, as he's getting ready to, to ascend to heaven, he comes to his disciples and he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then he uses the conjunction and, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That passage would have been so different if he would have used or. If he would have said to the apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the uttermost parts of the earth, pick one. Just pick one. But that's not what he said. As he's talking to the people who will become the church, he's saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Here's one thing that's happened to me in the last several years in Berlin. I've realized that my Jerusalem has changed. Berlin used to be the uttermost parts of the earth to me, but it's not anymore. And so when I read this passage and says, and it says, Mike, um, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, for me, that means Berlin. It used to mean Staples, Minnesota, but now Staples, Minnesota feels a lot more like the uttermost parts of the earth to me than Berlin does. So I, when I spoke in Staples earlier this year, I was able to say, man, guys, thanks so much for reaching my uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what I can say to you guys here in Vermilion too. Thank you so much for reaching my uttermost parts of the earth because as a church family, we can do this together. I'm reaching my Jerusalem, you're reaching your Jerusalem. I'm reaching your uttermost parts of the earth, you're reaching my uttermost parts of the earth. And as a family of believers, we can do that. And if we're going to do this well, 
we need to be supporting each other in different ways. And one of those ways is, is, is through prayer. And, and I mean, I could bring a parade of international workers up on stage who would be able to tell you answers to prayer, things that have happened in their ministry that only took place because God's people were praying for them. And that's true for us as well. When we're overseas, when we're working in a culture that's really hard to work for, one of the things that supports us the most is prayer. When I'm done, I'll put up a QR code. There's a QR code back on the back screen. If you'd like to sign up for a prayer update and just say, well, I'd love to pray for you, but I don't know how, I can fix that. I can share with you requests on a regular basis. Um, if you don't like QR codes and you just want to sign up analog, there's a pen and paper back there. You can sign up too. My only request would be if your handwriting's bad, use the QR code. <laughs> or I'm going to be bugging Robbie all week and saying, this person signed up, I can't read their email address, and it's bouncing. Um, another way you can support us through, is through giving. And that's true for your Jerusalem as well as for your ends of the earth. The Alliance has two major ways that you can support work that's happening around the world. One of them is through the Great Commission Fund. The Great Commission Fund is this missions giving model that the Alliance has had in place for a long time where we say, man, we've got, we've got 700 workers working in more than 60 different countries. And if you say, man, I love that, I'd love to give to all of them. The Great Commission Fund is the way for you to do that. The money you give to the Great Commission Fund is shared between all of us, and it keeps us doing what we're doing in ministry. The Alliance also realizes that there are a lot of people who say, I don't want anything to do with giving to a fund. I don't know how a fund is used. I'd rather give to a person. And if you'd like to give to a person, you can do that as well. You can give directly to our support, especially if you like people with tattoos and mustaches. Hey, give to our support. But there's a lot of other international workers around the globe, and you might say, man, Mike, I really love what people are doing in Cambodia. Can I support the work in Cambodia? And the answer is yes. You can. You can give directly to them, and you can find that all through the Alliance website. Also encourage you to send people. What I found in ministry recently, and well, even as I look back in ministry, is that God is in the habit of sending the people we'd most like to hold on to. And so as a church, if people are going to continue to do this international work, you as families, you as parents, and you as a body of believers are going to have to get good at sending. And that, that means both from, both from saying, when they say, man, I feel that God is calling me to go and work with people in a part of the world where it's incredibly dangerous, for you saying, man, that scares me, but praise God, I'm going to be there for you. I'll send you and support you in whatever God is calling you to do. It means as a church family, when somebody's getting ready to go, where you're saying, hey, we're behind you. We're going to make sure that you're sent well, that we're sending you care packages, that we're taking care of you. I've had a lot of churches say, I'd love to send care packages, but postage is so expensive. Man, bless a worker overseas with a gift of postage. Send them well. And then the last thing is, is going. Some of you might be saying, man, I think that, that maybe God wants me to do something overseas. I don't know how long. Maybe God wants me to go for a couple of months, or maybe God wants me to go for the rest of my life. Listen to that call of God. He, he always blesses as people respond to the calls that he's given them. And so if God is calling you this morning, if you're thinking, well, I don't know. I mean, it was, I was 12 years old at a missions conference in a church sitting in the back as the missionary was speaking, and he started talking about this call thing, and I didn't know what was happening, but my heart was beating really hard. And I knew, as I thought, why is my heart beating so hard, that God was beginning to tell me, Mike, I want you to be doing this. I want you to be involved in ministry for me for the rest of your life. And if that's you this morning, 
come talk to me, come talk to Robbie, come talk to Dan, come talk to us about what God's doing in your life. And what I'd say is that in the world we live in today, it doesn't matter how old you are. We have people who are retired who are coming to the field. We have people mid-career saying, I think God's calling me to go. We have young people who are saying, I don't know what God's doing, but I want to give it a try. And if you're anywhere in that category, just come talk to us and pursue God's call. Let me pray before I talk all morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance that we have to see this way Jesus did ministry, where he took on human flesh and he pitched his tent among us, this way where, where Jesus was incarnate and fully present in the world that you called him to. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us know how to do that well. I pray that you'd just speak to us and say, hey, you know what? You could do a better job of being present in your community in this way. And Lord, I pray that you would also, um, from this congregation, raise up a, a generation of senders and a generation of goers, Lord. That there would be people that would say, we want to make sure that the ends of the earth are reached, starting here and spreading around the globe. And that there would be people that would say, here am I, Lord, send me. And that they would go where you call them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.